What up, what up, what up everyone? Welcome to episode 360 of Combos Court and I am Combo. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button. Share this episode with a friend. Share it on your social media platforms. Share it on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. Share it in your basketball group chats. Let them know you're listening to Combos Court Podcast. Today's show, Zach of the Off the Glass Podcast joins in to talk playoff basketball and more. A fantastic conversation with Zach. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. to the show man long time man thanks for having me back great conversations always so i'm definitely glad to be here shout out to all your fans you know my model fan of no team but a love of basketball it's funny i give somebody a basketball take and they like start getting defensive and like i'm supposed to be (laughs) arguing with them and i'm like bro you know like at the end of the day i'm like i'm not emotionally invested in you know what i mean like obviously i'm super emotionally invested in the sport of basketball but they they're arguing with me like I'm arguing for the other team when I'm really not. I'm just giving them a point. No, it's interesting because I think we're in the age of like whatever your group is, tribalism, they say, like your team, your favorite player. Like even if you know it's not true, like you have to defend them to the death. If you say, man, Steph Curry can't, he, ain't, he can't dunk. What do you mean? Steph Curry's the greatest dunker of all time. Like, you know, it's just, you know, it's kind of like where we are with things. And I don't know about you, I noticed it this year more than ever. I don't know if it was always like this, but I've really been on Twitter, especially like, like Twitter spaces. And I was like, wow, like this has just been a really, really fascinating basketball season. It's kind of carried into the playoffs as well. Just a dialogue on Twitter, media, social media. It's been crazy because I feel like people run out there to give these overreactions and crazy takes. And I mean, KD obviously has been playing terrible, but I don't care. It was overreaction in the beginning. I don't care that he's been playing terrible for three games. Like, I know it looks okay now, those takes, right? Because he's yeah. been playing bad for a few games. But it's almost like people wanted to see the guy fail out of nowhere when everybody loved KD about two weeks ago. That's the part, though, that's weird. Everything's way up here. It's never yeah. in the middle. Like, for me, do I think this has to do with his legacy? Like, no. Like. Does it yeah. validate anything about his chant? No. But at the same time, we do have to talk about where he might rank all time in the pecking order if this ends in a sweep and he's like completely checked out out of all four games, right? Because I think we have to talk about it from that perspective as a meltdown possibly because it's, it is. Like we can't gloss over that. Like I don't know about you, but I wasn't rooting to see him do it. But combo, I'm I'm watching last night. I was shocked. Like, I was confused. I've been confused trying to figure out, like, giving him the benefit of the doubt. But then I just finally came to the conclusion, like, if we're really honest, this is who KD is. 
And the fact that he's played on a lot of great teams with other great players, it kind of masked what some of his weaknesses are. And I think credit the Celtics for highlighting what his weaknesses are. I think that's where it starts at as well as their defense. But I think there were points in the season that his weaknesses, and I don't know if we're talking about the same weaknesses because he doesn't have many, were looking like strengths because we saw a lot of point Durant this year, him facilitating mm-hmm. and playing multiple positions. Mm-hmm. So I really didn't see too many weaknesses this season. His defense isn't the same as it was with the Warriors, but I thought he did a great job working on those weaknesses and getting better at them. But this is what I'm talking about. And I, I just did my podcast. I was going to do it yesterday, but I was like, no, I have to watch this game first. It's the intangibles. It's not the skill set. I've come mm. to that conclusion. We're discussing and debating players from the past to today's era. It's the intangibles. It's the weakness of his body structure, right? Not having a strong base. So he gets pushed out of spaces easy. The fact that he just didn't look like he wanted to compete. Game two, a lot of hanging out by half court. Last night, a lot of, they hadn't even sent the double yet combo and he was already looking to pass. A certain type of aggression, a certain type of assertiveness that we saw from other players, whether it's the Birds, the Jordans, the Kobe's, even LeBron, even though I'm, you know, I'm more critical of LeBron for different reasons, but the I didn't see that from him. Those are the weaknesses I'm talking about. Even you can say when Golden State, I mean, had them up, down, what? No, my fault. Oklahoma City had them down, what, 3-1 Golden State? And how those yeah. last couple games, he just wasn't up for the challenge. And I'm not knocking him for that as like an overall great player, like people have been doing combo. But it does make me have to look and say, where does he really rank in this pecking order of other great players? Because the more I podcast, I said this today, the more I de- debate and talk basketball, that's what the other generation, those of us that hold on to the old, old other generation, their intangibles and their application is just way, this, this era just doesn't have that. It's just a different era that doesn't have that. They don't have the intangibles and the application like the older guys did. I don't care how athletic and skilled they are. They don't have it. They just don't. Yeah, I want to stay on the Nets, but I do want to, to your point, I do want to talk about like tendencies and intangibles. And as we get, you know, as we progress through this basketball era, I feel like everybody almost has a crazy skill set. So it really comes down to what your tendencies and intangibles are even more than your skill set these days, right? No, I agree. Like, for example, if you look at the other series with Minnesota, I'm not going to be staying in Brooklyn, but I feel like one of the intangibles that Cat needs to work on, even though they won, is his emotion. Yeah. He's way too emotional. He's way up here all over the place. And understanding how to be cool, calm, and collected. We don't need to create or do bonehead fouls and different things. Like, that's an intangible. Just being able to be in the moment because this is a high-pressurized situation. And if you want to keep progressing from round to round and ultimately make the finals and win a championship – these different things that we're talking about, whether it's the lack of physicality from KD or the emotion from Carnley Towns, those are all intangibles that I'm talking about. Does KD look tired to you? No, I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. And if he is, then maybe we have to look at how many years he's been in the league and maybe have to ask a different question is, are we watching him decline a little bit? I'm not there yet. So my yeah. answer, I'm going to say, 
No, I didn't. And to me, I don't think he's expending enough energy <laughs> to be tired. Now, if you would have asked me last year in that game seven uh, series matchup with the Bucks, yeah, I felt like he looked exhausted. But I also felt like he was more assertive going at P.J. Tucker, even though they were just as physical, just as, you know, beating him up off the ball. I don't feel like he's exerted that much energy in this series, to be honest with you. So if you, you've watched this series closely. I mean, what adjustments do you see the Nets making, if any? From team all, have, from team offense standpoint, they don't have any combo. They yeah. they needed they need a facilitator so bad. Um, me and you always, and you got me on this bandwagon, so I'm not going to take credit for it. With Kyrie being the most skilled ever, he's not a facilitator. Like they need somebody else to kind of set the table. And again, if we're saying KD has checked out mentally, if we're saying Ben Simmons is not going to play, and I think they have checked out. You know, I look at different things. When you tell me a media availability starts and Ben Simmons and Kyrie had already left the court, and then as the media is coming in, KD's exiting stage left. I mean, that's just not a it's not a good sign. It's unfortunate, but I really don't think there's anything it can do. The Celtics look <laughs> poised to come out the East at this point. Jason Tatum is, I mean, he's a superstar going into next season, right? He's definitely yeah. top fin- top ten. And depending, depending on how he finishes, I might have to put him in my top five going into next season because, you know, that's how I look at it year by year. I do give certain credence to guys who've been doing it for a while, but the Jason Tatum story has been just as phenomenal. So to answer your original question, I don't see Bro- – I don't know what Brooklyn can do at this point. I really don't. Yeah, I've been critical of Tatum in the past, and you know that. But yeah. I would say he improved on all the things that I was, like, concerned with him about. Yeah. Like, he moves the ball better now. He takes less tough twos. I don't. I'm, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it seems like the whole team is taking more spot up shots. So I love everything that he's doing. You know what he got good at with the superstar players because we always talk about what facilitating. It's not always the initial pass that leads to the assist combo. It's the hockey assist. Did Tatum make the right read? Whether they doubled him or maybe they were shading towards him, where he got it out of his hands early, made that pass. And then Marcus Smart or whoever is making the actual assist pass. 100%. And, and that's what he's doing that superstars to me do that takes them to the next level. And we can actually start calling them superstars. That's what he's been great at. And I don't know about you. Ironically, I thought it was the Brooklyn game at home when he had 50 on Sunday during the regular season where he got 50. But I didn't feel like he was forcing anything. And even at the end, he could have took that last shot. But what did he do? Move it to Smart. Smart probably couldn't even shot it, gave it to Jalen Brown. He knocks down the corner three that kind of closed out the game. That's when I was like, okay, Jason Tatum looks like he's might have turned the corner here and lived up to those expectations that we knew what his talent was. Piggybacking off your hockey assist point, players like Darius Garland, mm-hmm. like Cade Cunningham. Mm-hmm. I'm missing somebody here. Um, John Morant. John Morant is another guy. Like, these guys don't seem to care about the assists like maybe some other superstars do like a lot mm. of other superstars are looking for the assist of the bucket a lot of times like they're almost stat padding yeah. um and 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 there's actually some really great players that do this they're still great but just look at at those three guys those guys actually orchestrate offense and they're not as worried about the assist more just making the right pass and scotty barnes is another guy that i could put into the mix there no i agree so, and those are your like chris paul's another one i know yeah. he's kind of been the guy that kind of controls everything. But as far as 
being able to get people in proper position and understanding that all the attention is going to be on me. So it kind of behooves me to make sure I get this ball out of my hands early instead of late and still pick my spots. Because again, if you're the best player on the team, you're going to play 30 some odd minutes. The ball's going to find its way to you. You're going to get your numbers. You're going to get your stats. The question is, do you want to get stats or do you want to win championships? Right. I think, and that's why I think even like a Trey Young is still learning a little bit. And I know his team has been hurt, but it's amazing when he, and maybe it's the flow of the game. Maybe he's not doing it intentionally, but it just seems to me when he's allowing the other guys to really kind of get into it and he's moving the ball a little bit. And then he gets to be ice tray late and knock down dagger shots or game winning shots. That's when the Atlanta Hawks are at their best. And I think that's what Jason Tatum is doing right now. I have an interesting trade question for uh, trade question for you. Do you believe there's a way they could build around him defensively to make them legit title contenders? And how would that be done? I think they can in theory. I don't think they're that bad when they're healthy. No, they're I not. Think- they're, they're not bad defensively, but I don't know if it's good enough yet to be legit title contenders. Right. And like, what would they have to do differently? Cause they have some great defenders on the team already, you know? I mean, at his position, ideally, you want to have another wing out there that can guard. You always want another wing. I think Capella's a little bit older now. I don't think he's quite what he used to be, and maybe it's the injuries. I'm not even talking about the one he suffered against the the Cavs. So maybe upgrade that position. But to be honest with you, Combo, until he takes on that challenge of just competing consistently and just being respectful on that end, like, I think that's what Luka did this year when he finally got into shape. I think that's what Jokic has done the last couple years. Just be competent on that end. We don't need you to be all NBA defense, defensive player to your type. But when your guy has the ball or you're supposed to make a certain rotation, we need you there to make that rotation. And I'm not sure if he's ready to do that consistently. Until he does that, in my opinion, doesn't matter really who they put around him. Cause when you know, combos, the, the rounds go on, the talent raises, you're not going to be able to hide him all the time. Like they were able to hide him in Cleveland when Nate McMillan figured out how to bring the line right in. And you know, they could hide him a little bit, but as the rounds move on, you can't hide him. Who are you going to like when they played against the bucks, who are you going to hide them on when they were all healthy? There's nobody to hide them on. And that, I think that's the main issue regardless of what their roster construction is. I think we touched on the Memphis. Minnesota series, but to me, that's the most interesting series, especially when Minnesota won that first game. Then I'm like, oh, this is a series. To me, and I think I've talked about this with you before, Minnesota has the better hoopers, but Memphis has the better team. I agree 100%. And I'm going to call out Ja on your pod. Very interesting game for him last night. I don't think he played well, didn't feel like he showed up. I even felt like the game they came back in in the other night. I didn't think he played well in that game. I thought it was more about Desmond Bain making shots and Brandon Clark giving you energy and the adjustment Taylor Jenkins made by, you know, sitting Steven Adams and going smaller and getting Xavier Tillman. And I also felt like it was the lack of maturity on offense by the Minnesota Timberwolves just jacking shots that got them back in the game. So I, I go in Memphis Grizzlies spaces is actually one of the more better spaces as far as like teams because they're not like way all over the place. They're passionate, but they actually 
and make sense of things. And they said that Minnesota is like a terrible matchup for them. Like going back to even last year, they just don't play well against Minnesota. And I think it's to your point about having the Hoopers versus the team. And I think Patrick Beverly gives them an added dimension as well with how he's just out there pestering and doing Patrick Beverly things. So this might end up going seven, even though I originally had Memphis in six. Like it might go seven because neither. And you know what's funny? Neither one of them, in my opinion, play great offense that can win you a championship. I think That's it's true. still a lot of transition, a lot of read and react, high screen, uh, pick and roll a lot. So I think this could go seven. I wouldn't be surprised. At this point, I don't know who wins this series, just being honest with you, even though I had Memphis in six. Yeah, I think if somebody hears me say that Minnesota has the better hoopers, like you might say Memphis has John Morant. But if you just look at Minnesota's guys when it comes to like hooper depth, shall I say, maybe I'm <laughs> making a new term, but yeah. like you got Cat, you got Anthony Edwards, right? You got Malik Beasley, Hooper, D'Angelo Russell, Hooper. Like these guys could really hoop. And the thing was, they probably didn't have the culture that Memphis right. had, but Pat Beverly brought some of that. So that's right. what's making this series so tough for Memphis. How special is Anthony Edwards? Like, oh, man. It's, he hasn't even, you could tell, Combo, he's just playing. Like, he hasn't, right. I don't know what his film study is and commitment. So I, I'm not one of those people that does that because we really don't know. We're not there. But I'm willing to guess it hasn't slowed down a click yet, which is not surprising. He's in year two. This would have been his sophomore year at Georgia, which is hilarious. But you could tell, like, he's just playing. Like, it's almost like he doesn't even know what he's doing yet. It's it's scary. The athleticism, and you said this, like, because they were talking about his athleticism coming in. The finish he had yesterday was in, the, in the first quarter, the right-to-left crossover, and then the explosion with the left hand high off the glass. Like, yeah, it, it's, it, it's going to be interesting to see what how Minnesota finishes this series and what they take from this playoffs going into next season. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. I've said this before about him as well. Like, going into the NBA, people were like, yeah, Anthony Edwards, like, great athlete. But I don't think they were talking about how great of an athlete he actually was. And yeah. now now I don't think about – I don't think they're talking about – like, everybody – since that dunk, like, everybody knows, yeah. like, that kind of, like, brought everybody out. Like, oh, this guy's probably, like, a top 1% athlete even in the NBA. But his skill set is elite, too. Like, the way he finishes around the rim – Yes. He has he has the skill set. He has the athleticism. And to your point, once he gets more experience and maybe, you know, works on the film sessions and works on making better reads on both sides of the floor. I mean, sky's the limit. And in my opinion, I see a future MVP. No, I agree. Because you know what he has as far as athleticism? Everybody talks about how high people jump. And yeah. I get it because that's the obvious. He has like that. I'm jumping high, but I have elite body control athleticism. Like, that's what makes Josh special. Like, the body control. There's a lot of – and you hoop, Combo. We've seen a lot of guys that could jump, right? Like, they were great leapers, but didn't necessarily have the coordination and that type of next-level body you, control. I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. OB Toppin. Yeah. 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 You know, but I not, mean yeah. – and, and, he's, and he's having – I mean, he had a solid season, and I think he's going to be a good NBA player – but when you just look at jumping as, you know, the only facet of athleticism, you're just going down the wrong path. You know who's a crazy athlete? And, I mean, he, he, he could jump really high, but he's probably not the, the highest jumper in the league. Jalen Brown is a crazy all-around yes. athlete. 
Yes. He, he's like yes. the epitome of an yep. all around athlete in every way. Like he has no deficiencies as an athlete. No, I agree 100 percent. I agree 100 percent. Yeah, most definitely. Um, It was good to see. The Nuggets get this win. <laughs> it really was because everybody was waiting for them to get swept. Even before the series, people were hitting me up on Instagram. What happens when Jokic gets swept? Like, is he still the MVP? I'm like, regular season Even. award. <laughs> and what were his stats today? Yo, his stats were – it was like a quiet whatever he yeah. had. Well, it was what – it was mid-30s, right? I, yeah, I'm going to look real quick. He had mid-30s, but it was like a quiet – and the stat line was still crazy. Yeah, he – that that to me was the weirdest thing on social media this year in basketball Twitter was the whole Jokic MVP debate and how they were trying to use his record against him. And uh, what if he's in the play in? And so he had what did he finish with? Where is Jokic? 37, six and eight, 14 of 21 from the field. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about it. Yeah, well, that, no, no, talk about it. I want you to talk about it because <laughs> everybody keeps asking me why I had uh, Jokic as the MVP, and you know I had him preseason. That was my prediction for MVP. Yeah. But just for my listeners, why do you feel Jokic is the MVP? And just, if you think I don't like Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant was my MVP. I thought he had a shot okay. this year, and he actually had a legit shot before oh, he yeah. got Oh, hurt. yeah. Oh, yeah. If he wasn't injured, he would have been right yeah. there. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Because... Like, to me, I don't know even know what we were doing, especially the Devin Booker stuff. Like, that was weird. I didn't know what we were doing, Combo. It yeah, was yeah. obvious to me that he's missing his two other best players, like the two other guys that get paid big money, max money. I didn't understand what we were doing. And then, so he's passing the eye test. Then the traditional numbers were there. And then for me, the advanced stats were absurd. Like, yeah. at one point during the season combo, you know his plus-minus on and off was, like, plus 21? Like, at one point, it was plus 21. Nobody was within, I want to say, 10 of him. Now, as the season went on and, the, you know, the data can kind of catch up, he finished in double digits. So did Embiid, Giannis, Durant, uh, I think Steph as well, because you could start to see, like, the great stars, like, their impact. But I just didn't think it was close what he was doing he had that team. I think they finished 15 games over 500. You take him off that team, and I think I've said this to you in a, in a conversation. Is that a lottery team? Like, just being honest. Yes. It, it, yes. It, it's, a, it's a lottery I team. I mean, they're, pro they're probably in tank mode. And you, you know what the debate always is when it comes to this conversation right here? There's, like, really polarizing opinions on how good Aaron Gordon is. That was weird, too, because – Although I thought he's gotten better as far as playing basketball, not just being this athletic guy that we thought had a lot of potential since he's been in Denver, I could tell he's gotten better. But to you, that's how I knew people were like grasping at straws to use him as like the, the, the fact that they're like when well, B didn't have Simmons and they were trying to say that Aaron Gordon was on the same level as like Tyrese Maxey who played right. this year Tobias Harris. Like it was like, no, and even looking at Giannis had enough. Giannis is at voter fatigue at this point because he's another one had a great season. But to say, like, for example, Booker had the better record. I thought it was disingenuous and unfair to Devin Booker. Like, in my opinion, like we could talk about it. He had a great season, but he wasn't the MVP. And I even told somebody this because they were like, well, 
if you switch teams, I like, well, switch teams and put Devin Booker on Denver with the same roster. They don't make the playoffs. They might yeah, not yeah. be a lottery team. They might, and I'll give Devin Booker this much respect. They'll be fighting for the 10th seed. And I don't even believe that, to be honest with you, Combo. Yeah. And, and to, like, to swing it the other way, like even if you have Jokic as your MVP like me and you do, you don't have to downplay Aaron Gordon either. You know right. what I mean? Like, he, like yeah. he, he's a really good player. So it's like almost like no matter where you landed on the debate, you would like swing how good Aaron Gordon it was. It, it was pretty, it was like interesting to me. And so we're clear. I don't have a problem even when Embiid getting it. Cause I thought Embiid had a great season. But to me, the tiebreaker was Jokic played more games. Yeah. Like I just, and I, and I think he played almost 12 more or 10 more than Embiid. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. That me, matters. Ava- you, availability matters. And it, also it matters. That, and also that Harden acquisition, he, it messed up Embiid slightly for a little bit. Not that his stats went down crazy or anything, but it yeah. was a slight hit. And when we're splitting hairs, that matters, you know? Yeah, it definitely matters. It definitely matters. It definitely does. But I felt like it was a three-man race the whole season with Jokic being in the front of the race. And I think we're going to look back on this and – and realized that we just saw, and actually in this two combo, this season this year he had was better than last season when he won the award. And I think we're going to look back on this and say, this was like a really, really brilliant stretch of basketball that we seen by a transcendent player because of what position he plays, how he's built, how big he is, but with the wider range of skills, not just the offensive bag everybody talks about, but the passing the defense is better than what people realize. He's going to struggle in the Golden State series because they're just going to have him running around because of all the shooters. But he's a much better defender than people realize. Yeah. I think it was important for that team, that organization, to not get swept. I, I really thought it was. I like, had them in. I don't want to say I had them. Did I have them in six or five? I can't remember. I didn't have them getting swept, though. I think I had Denver. Yeah. Maybe in six because I thought Jokic could maybe get three and four at home. So I, I might have picked Denver in six. I'm not going to say five. I mean, not Denver, Golden State in six. Um, but I knew Golden State shouldn't have a problem winning this series. That's the other thing. Like he's missing his two best players. So I'm not saying I'm not impressed with Golden State, but I also feel like Golden State's doing what they're supposed to do. They have the better team. Thoughts on the emergence of Jordan Poole? It's funny you say this. I was the, so the last day and like two days, me and my guy have been talking about this. Of I didn't think he was most improved. I thought he had a good season, but I think he had a really strong season from the like all-star break on and carried into the playoffs. I didn't think he had a better, most improved season than Desmond Bain, Tyrese Maxey, or DeJounte Murray from start to finish, right? But we were mainly talking combo. What do you pay him? Yeah, because that's interesting. I, I mean, he, he he's a max guy. Because if you look at other... He's a max guy. Yeah, because if you look at the lower end max players, he's going to be better than some of them. So it's interesting you say that. We went to sports track and was looking at the salaries. We saw four years, 85. Four years, 90 for some guys. Four years, 75. And some of the names we saw, we even saw, I think it was four years or five years, 100 for one guy. Malcolm Brogdon. Tim Hardaway Jr., I think was the 85 million guy or 75. Fred Van Vliet. 
So what you're saying is, with the, in my opinion, this is a small sample size for an undrafted guy to say he's a max player. Like you really want to pay him over a hundred million dollars for four years or five? I think it's real. Oh, that's interesting. I think it's and I'm real. I'm not saying he's not good. And, and, uh, you, know, and you know, but. no, no. And what it could be is that he has more value to the Warriors than any other team. It could be so that you're too. basically saying, and they've done it before, but they're committing to the luxury tax then. Yeah. I mean, Hey, some could argue that there's benefit of waiting it out. One, yeah. could, one could argue that. I think they have to keep him though. So if that means they have to overpay him, because I could see the timeline. If you have Kaminga over there, who's another rookie that, my goodness, that that looks. And I, I had to calm. I said this on Twitter. I was like, I'm just going to sit back and just watch him develop. I don't, I'm not going to compare him to anybody. I, I just kind of want to watch this because this is going to be fun to watch him develop. But you have Kaminga over there. I'm still not giving up on Wiseman. And Steph is getting older. Clay's getting older. And you could, you could kind of see in theory, not saying their games are the same. But you have that main three kind of phasing out. And then we got Kaminga, Poole, and Wiseman if it all works out. I think that can be something that's in play in the back of their minds as well. But it's funny you brought up Poole because that's what we would – matter of fact, like an hour ago, I was talking to my guy. I was like, man, what do you pay him? Because that's going to be the interesting thing. But, no, I think he's legit. I really and, do. Yeah, he's legit. And it, it does depend on – I mean, he the, the deeper and deeper they go – Man, if they win a championship, um, you you know what makes me also like believe that he should be a max guy because before the season, and I talked about this, I talked about this on Doug Godley's podcast. I talked about this before. I wasn't a believer in the Warriors, like I just no, wasn't, I wasn't either because it was just, it was just too many question marks, and I right. didn't know that I knew Jordan Le- Poole was good, but I didn't know he was going to take this kind of leap. Obviously, yeah. Steph is older, Draymond's. You know, I'm very high on Draymond's game, but his jump shot hasn't been the same for a while now. He's a little bit older. Clay was coming back off two injuries. Uh, They were kind of rebuilding. Not rebuilding. They were trying to win now and look to the future at the same time. It was like a a combination of all these things that I didn't think they were legit title contenders. But, you know, everything has worked out with Dre. Well, he was injured a little bit. But besides that, worked out with Dre, worked out with Steph. Clay has been spotty but he's been playing well but then this emergence of Jordan Poole has put them over the top to make them legit title contenders so yeah that's and, why and I'm kind of thinking Matt, yeah Wiggins too Wiggins, Wiggins being special on defense and yeah. then and that's why when people were, were like why did y'all doubt the Warriors like I agree with you because then they have role players that we've yeah. never seen be on a team like this and be like Otto Porter Bielitsa uh Gary Payton Jr. is a yeah, sort of a journeyman. I mean, I thought for those of us with basketball sense, it was fair to kind of like, let's wait and see what they are, you know, and I'm kind of surprised. I still feel like if Booker is healthy, Phoenix is the cream of the crop in the West. Um, And boy, Chris Paul, he's just aging like a fine yeah. one. Yeah, let, let's finish with that, man, because, <laughs> yo, how effortless is it for him to get in the mid range? And get two points. It's really crazy. It's crazy how he gets that done. He makes it look really easy. And then that's not even talking about the playmaking. You know, that in itself is so elite. That, the playmaking, and remember what I alluded to earlier, just getting everybody organized. 
Just yeah, well, what I was talking about with, and obviously these guys don't do it at the same level, like a Darius Garland, a Cade, and yeah, a Scott. Yeah, just getting they, everybody yeah. organized. I, I yeah. put a tweet out, and I know people were talking about me. I said, Magic Johnson off the top of my head, like Oscar Robinson, John Stockton. Somebody said like Clyde Fraser, Jason Kidd. Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson. I mean, I'm pretty sure we're forgetting people, but the point I was making was just elite at just getting their team organized. Making sure for the most part combo, whether they make it or not, they're getting what quality shots. You think every you think you think big Gary Payton's in that category? You could put that in there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I thought yeah. he was he was better than people J- give him credit. Jason for. Kidd. Uh, did you mention yeah, Kidd? I said, yeah. yeah, I said okay. Jason Kidd for gotcha. sure. Because Jason yeah. Kidd to me is the the best I've seen dominate a game with well, scoring eight points. Like one he's of the, the best I've seen at that. One of the most underrated players ever, in my but opinion. But to to Paul. People really were like, how can you compare him to Magic? Like, he has no titles, no MVPs. I'm just like, I'm talking about playing the position, right? Yeah. Because we know as a small guy in a big guy's lead, I know he's taller than most Americans, but we're talking about a small guy. You need a whole roster. I always thought it was interesting. and shows you really when we think about it how great Chris Paul is, that we look at him the same way as the LeBrons, the Kobe's, uh, as far as carrying a team by himself. When actuality, and I've been saying this, there's really one small guy in the history of the NBA to carry a team to a championship, and he did it twice, and that's Isaiah Thomas. That's it. Everybody else, you got to have some type of roster around you when you're a smaller guy and you're the point guard. Magic had a great roster. I'm not knocking Magic because he was the engine. He got them going. As soon as he showed up, they started winning titles. Before he got there, they didn't win anything. But this idea that I don't understand why we don't appreciate Chris Paul because he hasn't won championships, we literally combo every team he goes to, he takes them to another level. Now, we could nitpick some of his performances and talk about those. Some of them weren't great. But by and large, because I don't count Steph as a point guard. Steph has created his own lane. Like, he's Steph. Yeah. But as far as playing the point guard position, he's, like, top three at this point. You could probably even argue, too. Like, that was a master class he he had 19 points in the fourth quarter of his 28 it was just a master class the whole game that he taught and as much as we say we need to appreciate lebron and even kd now because he's getting criticized i think we need to appreciate appreciate chris paul because i really believe combo out of all of them he's the last of a dying breed into the game kind of circles back around of how you play the point guard position the ability Mm -hmm. to score and still distribute and be thinking two and three patterns ahead, like playing that, because you play points on two, that game within a game, like the point guard is playing a game within the game that everybody else is not playing. I really believe once he retires, it might be a while. I think Darius Garland, for example, could get there, but it might be a while combo before we see that at that level. I agree with you. I think what happened in the NBA was, just give your best player the ball and yeah. let him initiate offense. Yeah. You know, and also on top of that, they felt that the way the NBA was becoming positionless, they didn't want a smaller guy on the court for defensive purposes. Yep. So yep. maybe, maybe we sacrifice a little bit of, you know, the table setting and the elite point guard ability and just have five guys that could defend at all times. But to your point, I mean, that just brings so much value when you have a guy who could do it at Chris Paul's level. And to me, when you say like, we're not going to have that guy, you're basically saying, we hope that Jason Tatum, 
we hope that Giannis mm-hmm. become playmakers. That's yeah. basically what you're saying, because you're saying we're not going to have that position on the court, which I believe is super valuable. If you take Chris Paul and put him in Utah instead of Mike Conley, I'm not saying they're the Phoenix Suns, but it will look a lot different with Donovan Mitchell and Chris Paul, almost like Chris Paul and Devin Booker. It's, it's something to think about when you really look at the value of having a guy like that on your team. Yeah. I would agree. And, you know, the trend is going to tip back. I mean, as yeah. you said, I think they'll come back. But, you know, like even in the draft, if you're one of those guys, man, you drop. If you're like a pure point guard. Yeah, you so, do. So, you, I mean, but there's going to be somebody that comes along and then, you know, he'll be great. That type of player. Great. And then we'll see like, oh, people want to draft players like that again. And, you know, it's always it always goes full circle. I will say this, though. I'm saying it to be confident, to be optimistic, because I want to see it, but I'm not confident in it because I've been watching a little secretly, watching a little AAU on these different outlets. Mm-hmm. I'm not liking what I'm seeing from American basketball, but that's a whole nother conversation, big picture. I'm, I'm not liking what I'm seeing. This is the first time I've actually typed it, tap, tapped in into the EYBL circuit, mm-hmm. for example, and kind of even Adidas a little bit. Mm. Not not liking what I'm seeing from our domestic-born players here in the States, so, um, but that's another podcast. So maybe we'll <laughs> save that podcast for another day, Zach. Yes. And that, that was a fantastic conversation, whether we're always. talking on the phone or always. recording a podcast. We always have great basketball conversations. Where could everybody find you on social media and everywhere else? I mean, mainly I'm plugging my Twitter because I, I do spaces once a week at least. So mm-hmm. follow me on Twitter, knowledge at the author glass, knowledge at the author glass. Um, Instagram is Nas the Off the Glass podcast, and then everything is the Off the Glass podcast. The YouTube channel, the the podcast available every everywhere. I just ask people to drop me a rating or review, and just just share the phen- the the feedback has been phenomenal combo, and it keeps me going, keeps me pushing. I get really good feedback from people. They glad they like the show, uh, they like what I'm doing. So I always appreciate coming on your platform. You, de- I don't listen to a lot of platforms anymore. But you're definitely one of the ones that I still tap into and listen to and always support. So thank you for having me on. Likewise, bro. Really appreciate you. You're always welcome back on the show and talk soon. Talk soon. Fan of no team, but a lover of basketball. Always, bro. Later. (laughs) (laughs) There it is. Another episode of Combo's Court. Big thanks to Zach for joining in. We appreciate you. Big thanks to Combo Nation for tuning in. We appreciate you. Don't forget to share this episode. Share with a friend. Share it on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. Share it on your IG stories. Share it in your basketball group chats. Thanks again for taking the time to listen to Combo's Court Podcast. Punch down on that subscribe button if you haven't already. Be on the lookout for episode 361. Combo out.